Welcome to the Rapid Response RN Podcast, helping you keep your finger on the pulse of your patient's condition with real-life stories from the front lines of nursing. This podcast can help you sharpen your assessment skills, improve your ability to recognize the signs and symptoms of your patient's decline, be inspired to speak up and advocate, and know how to jump into action to promote the best outcome for your patients. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. I actually had a plan to record today's episode, but in light of recent events, I feel compelled to address this topic. As you know, my heart and the entire reason I had this podcast is to empower nurses with the knowledge and confidence they need to respond to any emergency. But what about when an emergency happens outside of the hospital, without your equipment, or without your team? What if you witness someone collapse into cardiac arrest? What would you do? My heart goes out to Damar Hamlin and his family and friends. As I watched the video of Damar, a healthy, young, NFL-level athlete collapse on national television, my first thought was, oh my God, this could happen to anybody. No one was expecting that. I saw the expertise of the medical team resuscitating him and thought about how many sporting events I have watched from the stands, most of which just middle and high school games that do not have team physicians on standby. Do I know where the AED is at my kid's high school? Would I be able to pull it together and think clearly if it was one of my child's teammates that needed my expertise? While I do consider myself an expert in resuscitation, that would be a tough transition to go from mom in the stands to rapid response nurse in an instant. My hope for this podcast is that by the end of the episode, you will walk away with some knowledge about sports-related sudden cardiac events and consider what role you will play if you were to witness one occur and be prepared to jump into action to save a life. Today, I've invited to the podcast an expert in sports medicine. Dr. Jeremy Allen is the team physician for the Chicago Bulls and has encountered serious sports-related injuries on the field before. Dr. Allen, welcome to the Rapid Response RN podcast. Oh, Sarah, so good to be here. Great intro. Those questions are awesome. I'm happy to get into those with you. Yeah, thank you so much for being with me for this discussion. So before we really dive into it, can you just tell me what is your role as the team physician for the Chicago Bulls? Like, what do you do? It's the number one question I get anywhere I go when people find out what I do. So I guess we can go ahead and a- answer that. So yeah, so sports medicine is a field that I think people are are pretty familiar with, although I think most people kind of associate it with orthopedics in general. Mm-hmm. There is a sports medicine that is actually out of medicine and we call it primary care sports medicine. So it's a role in which either family physicians or internal medicine, emergency uh, physiatry can do a fellowship and become sports medicine trained. And so, you know, my nine to five with an office is kind of like seeing orthopedic stuff, but with the teams, I handle a lot of the primary care. And so when you ask what I do with the, with the Chicago Bulls, you know, I handle almost anything that comes up with those athletes, especially on the medical side of things. And so on game day, I'm at about 60, 65% of the games. I don't have to go to all of them. I have some people that can cover some games for me because it's too many, but I'm there, I'm in the locker room. And then also we, uh, we have some seats that we sit in and, and I work directly with the athletic training staff and EMT uh, people there, if anything were to happen. And, and the best days are the ones where I get to just watch good basketball. And the worst days are the ones where I have to treat something medical. But that also includes things that are happening um, not only on game day, right? So there's things that come up in between or on practices or people will have, um, you know, some form of illness or we'll get like uh, some sort of injury to a body part or, or whatnot. Sounds awesome. What aspects do you feel like are most challenging in that role? Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's a lot of different aspects to the role. And again, I think 
medicine when it comes to professional sports is not 100% done the way that medicine is done when we're in a hospital or when we're in, you know, like some sort of outpatient clinic. And I think most people would kind of assume that. But, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it, not only just with the medicine and the injury or the illness, but also, you know, how much time is going to be missed, meaning they have to replace that person. You know, certainly the financial implications that are associated with it, whether it be for the team, but also for the player themselves. So this is, you know, more or less in a weird way, kind of a workers' compensation kind of thing. If you think about it, this is just mm-hmm. the same as somebody getting injured at the job uh, who does like a labor job and says, "If I don't mm-hmm. go back to work, I can't make money." That kind of thing. So I, I'd say what's really challenging is kind of handling all those different aspects of it, but really at the end of the day, focusing on the player and making sure that their health comes first and giving them both. You know, this is the short term, but this is also the long term, and making sure that everybody's informed with their decision making. So, were you watching Monday night? Whenever this happened? Yeah, yeah ironically, I, I definitely was watching, but I, I'm actually on vacation and I'm in a, a Spanish-speaking country, so I was watching ESPN Deportes. And so I speak a little Spanish, but they were speaking much too fast for me to completely understand what was going on. And certainly I saw that there was an injury. It seemed like it obviously had some urgency to it, and eventually an ambulance was coming up. But I had to kind of go to, like, social media to figure out actually and watch the play like in slow motion to kind of get an idea of actually what was going on because I, I just couldn't keep up with the Spanish, but I did watch it live. Yeah. So whenever you saw it, even in slow motion through your eyes as a sports metaphysician, like what did you see occur? I think everybody probably listening has seen the clip. If you haven't, I'm sure after hearing this, they're going to hit pause and maybe go watch the clip to understand kind of like what we're talking about. But but basically what happens and what I noticed was this player goes and makes a tackle on a opposing player. And that player seems to run pretty hard into DeMar's chest, right? It hits right into pretty hard. They hit the ground. DeMar kind of rolls over him and gets up. And I think everybody at that point kind of was like, that's kind of weird that he, he gets up because... I would say what, maybe a second later, he collapses to the ground and is un- you know more or less unconscious. You see him not moving and then the medical teams come out. And so, you know, the first thing that crossed my mind when I saw the clip and, and I was watching actually with my wife at the time was like, that looks like commodio cordis. And so anybody who's familiar with that condition, you know, kind of would be familiar with that aspect of things. And so that condition is blunt trauma to the chest. And then in addition, usually what happens at that point is the player or whoever gets hit in the chest will stand up or keep moving and seem normal for a split period of time, and then they'll pass out, and then they'll lose consciousness. And it's like exactly what happened in the play. And the more we thought about it, and I've had conversations with people, I, I don't know if I've ever seen it in NFL football before, and I'd have to go back through the you see you know, baseball, right? Research. Right, so I've seen, it, I've seen it in baseball, you know, like a pitch hitting a chest. In fact, when I was in Little League, there was a player in our Little League, he was not in a game I was at, who once hit in the chest. And this was... I'm dating myself, but it had to have been 20 plus years ago. And he was hit in the chest and he had commodio cordis. And luckily, you know, think about back 20, 25 years ago, like AEDs and stuff were not really talked about as much as they are now, right? And so luckily in the stands was a police officer who had a kid in the game and had an AED in their car and actually saved this kid's life. Oh my gosh, that's um, an awesome story. story. It's a huge story. And, and the weird thing about it was, is like at that time, nobody ever talked about this stuff. AEDs weren't really talked about. So it became a big conversation in my community, but like, it took a long time for this to grow outside of that to, to AEDs everywhere, right? And then the other thing, so so I, NHL hockey is another one because these guys get oh, in for sense. pucks all the time. Yeah. So I know like, I'm pretty sure Chris Pronger with that, when he was with the St. Louis Blues had this happen where he took it right to the chest of puck and gets up and skates and then it falls to the ground and you see them trying to do rescue efforts basically out on the ice. You see them trying to run on ice to get to him. But again, like hockey and baseball and projectile type sports are certainly more common. But yeah, I don't think it's ever happened in football before. 
again, it's just speculation at this point, Sarah, right? Because we don't actually know if that was the condition. Certainly there's other things that could have been going on. He could have had a pre-existing heart condition that we're not aware of, you know, the, the most commonly like arrhythmias in this population, right? So, you know, there's a famous soccer player, last name I think was Erickson, who was recently in like the European leagues had this happen um, where he was just on this, like walking on the pitch and just collapsed and fell over. And he had a, he had an arrhythmia, I'm pretty sure, because he ended up getting a defibrillator placed in. But it was not the same thing. He didn't have contact or anything like that. And then the most common thing that we look for in, in professional sports in the United States is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or HCM. Most of the time, and I'm actually not 100% familiar with NFL guidelines on this or what they do for screening. I know that in, in my leagues, we do a lot of cardiac screening. We're looking for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So a lot of times that stuff's kind of been at least looked at before these players have been on the field. And in addition, they usually played college and a lot of the colleges are looking at it too. So again, it's all speculation, but that certainly looked like Commodio Corvus to me. So for the couple of my listeners who are not nurses, we'll see like my stepmom, she's awesome. (laughs) What exactly is happening? Like, can you talk through the whole PQRST and RNT phenomenon and kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah, so... Mom, what happens in this case is that the <laughs> projectile or whatever, you know, the human body takes contact to the chest. And, you know, the heart itself is a muscle that is then controlled by electric and, you know, electricity, conductivity through the heart, right? And so that's what creates your EKG with your P wave, your QRS, and then your T wave. And so the vulnerable spot is between the QRS and the T. And if you get hit in that split instant between those two, so basically after the ventricles have contracted, but as they're kind of like re-expanding, if you get hit right at that time, it can cause this to happen. And it's not 100%, right? So not only do you have to be hit right at the exact moment, like the really that time, but even in that case, it doesn't always cause the problem. So it's a pretty rare condition. And the way that one of the, the most famous study on this was kind of brutal if you think about it, but it actually, they took pigs um, and put them into like harnesses and they actually mm-hmm. fired projectiles at the exact time of the QRS to T wave, and they showed that the the EKG would they would go into like a almost like a V fib at that point, and because they could time it up perfectly. So you know, not great from an animal rights perspective, but in terms of like understanding the concepts, that's that's kind of our knowledge behind it. Yeah, for my listeners that are still trying to wrap their head around it, think about the reason why we don't defibrillate patients who have VTAC with a pulse. We do synchronized cardioversion because we don't want to accidentally fire the electricity at that T wave when the heart's trying to reset itself. The heart will usually go into torsades or V-fib in response to that. So with synchronized cardioversion, the defibrillator itself actually waits, like senses for the right time that the electricity safely in, not to make the rhythm worse than it already is. So that's basically what happened to Damar. He was hit with a jolt. It was a helmet at just the wrong time and threw him into an arrhythmia that caused cardiac arrest. Right. And again, again we should all, say all that speculation. We, speculation, right? So right. that is what happened. That that is what happened. But no, that was a really good description of what happens there. So as you are approaching the fields, I know when I run into an emergency, my mind is just racing of like all the things I need to do. I'm scanning the room, making sure I have who I need, what I need to resuscitate the patient. I'm running in my head through all the different differential diagnoses. So when you see a player collapse in the field, what goes through your head as the physician as you're running out to the field to figure out what just happened? Yeah, I love this um, question you're asking me because I 
really think it blends what I do and what you do together, even though they're not in the same environment. Because if you go back to my early training, I, I trained in a, at a hospital where as the family physician, I actually ran all the codes. So I've run a lot of codes in my life. And in reality, kind of like the same principles that go into that are what you use on the field. You just have to remember that even though the environment's different, it's the exact same phenomenon. So I've been involved actually in a, in a couple situations like this. And so when somebody collapses on the field, as the physician, oftentimes I'm not the first one there. You think about it, most of the time it's an athletic trainer that is heading there. So if you want to use the analogy for you guys, a lot of times the physician's not the first one to the code. A lot of times the nurses, right, are the ones mm -hmm. that are there and kind of doing the assessments. And so, mm -hmm. you know, by the time I get out there, the athletic trainer kind of has already started assessing and, and, and basically would say something effective like there's no pulse or we could recheck that or that kind of thing. But the most important thing and the thing I always remind myself and everybody listening, I remind is like to take your own pulse. I know that that gets said all the time, but like you have more time than you think. You take a deep breath you have to kind of assess the situation and make sure you're not missing anything. And so I usually take a deep breath. And then at that point, I'm saying, okay, does this person have a pulse or not have a pulse? Because that changes everything, right? The pathway is just going to completely change. And so I was a part of a, a pretty well-publicized phenomenon back with the Chicago White Sox a few years ago in which a player had a brain aneurysm. It actually happened after he pitched an inning. His name was Daniel Farquhar. This is all over the internet. And so I'm not giving away any information that wasn't already out there. But I was the physician on call for that. And so when I came out to the dugout, he was, he was unconscious, actually kind of snoring, unconscious. And so the first thing you have to do in that situation, again, is just, is there a pulse or no pulse? And so that's what you're doing, right? And so if you feel a pulse, now you're starting to talk about why is this person unconscious, but at least I don't have to do CPR. I probably don't need to go like activate things like AEDs right away. Maybe you have it obviously nearby, but it, that's going to change what you do. In this situation where more than likely, you know, any other situation that don't have a pulse, you got to start compressions right away, right? And so you're starting compressions. And then usually, you brought this up in your introduction. I thought this was a really good point. But at the professional level, we have very, very regimented emergency action plans. We call them EAPs, in which we, we have them in documentation form and they're published and sent to the league. And in addition, we have to like practice those so we, we get together before the season starts and we actually run through these simulations of like what we would do. And, you know, for the basketball, like we're on the court practicing this and doing like, okay, which tunnel would we go to? Or like, where would we oh, go from great. here? And, right? and so like EMS is always in the same position at every stadium. And so the stadium itself has, you know, its own emergency action plan. But you mentioned like, this can happen in a high school game, right? So if I'm going out, I don't feel a pulse. You're basically enacting EMS. So if you have emergency systems, so I'm at the, football game or I'm at the NBA, I'm holding up my hand or the athletic trainer's holding up their hand to bring out the ambulance to activate that. You start compressions, the EEDs right there, you throw the EED on. I, I've been going for a while here, but the thing to remember is in this population, and I think what's really interesting here is that this is a young, healthy population, right? So this is going to most of the time be cardiac arrest, not a myocardial infarction, some sort of heart attack, some sort of atherosclerosis, some sort of thing that we see sometimes when our 50, 60, 70-year-old patients are, you know, like have cardiac arrest. Most of the time, this is either, we've talked about commodio cordis, but this can be some sort of arrhythmia, you know, like Wolf-Parkinson-White or some sort of AFib or A, you know, like atrial thing that they have going on. It could be, you know, like if they're from um, Italy, the most common thing is a, uh, ARVD, which is another common thing that happens and that can be what causes it. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is probably the most common thing that happens in athletes and has been well publicized. And so 
at the end of the day, you got to get the AED on because the vast majority of the things in this age group are shockable. Yeah. And so unlike, again, when you have 50, 60, 70 year olds who don't have a pulse, most of those are probably not shockable. They don't have a rhythm. They're asystolic and you got to yeah. do compressions. The vast majority of this age group is shockable. And that's why the AEDs are so important because you can bring them back. Can you speak a little bit, especially like to lay people or, you know, Brandon nursing students that are listening to my podcast? How in the world could he have gotten hit, stand up, and then collapse again? What was happening in those, you know, 15 seconds or so that he's able to stand and then collapse again? Yeah, the magic word is perfusion, right? So basically right. the brain is the, the important organ and it's getting oxygen. And so because of the way that this condition happens, if that's what happened, is he's still perfusing his brain for those few seconds when he stands up because the, the arrhythmia itself is causing the heart to not be able to pump blood well enough to the brain, but it didn't happen right away. He took the blow and it caused the electricity to go off. And so it's almost like a car that's out of gasoline in a weird way. Yeah. Like it doesn't just like... Still got a little more juice left. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't just go from like going to dying. It kind of like putters a little bit. Right. And so it's kind of like that stand up putter and then it goes out. Gotcha. Yeah, I know that was a big shock for when you think, oh, okay, he's up. Oh, no, he's down again. Oh, I just, I feel so much for his teammates that must have just been so shocked to see someone their age, their level of health experiencing this. Oh, my heart goes out to them so much. So obviously, if I see an emergency occur in an NFL football game, I'm not going to like rush the field and <laughs> jump into ref response nurse. There are people that can handle that. But if I'm watching my daughter's lacrosse game and I see a play go down, you better believe I'm running out there. What advice would you have for someone who's not the team doctor, but a mom or a dad with some medical experience, what advice would you have for them if they were to see a player collapse? Yeah, it's a, a great question. And also, Sarah, I've only known you a little while, but I do get the sense that if you were in an NFL football game and knew this was happening, there's a part of you <laughs> that would want to go down and run. Absolutely. It. So I know you're, you're saying you wouldn't, but I'm sure there's a part of you that would want to. Yeah, so a couple of things. I, I mean, I'm a parent myself and a physician who does this for a living. And there's going to be times that I'm on the sideline and I'm not in my active role where this could happen. And again, it's the same concept of like, how do you kind of switch hats so quickly? And so the first thing I'd point out is because of the mark, I don't know if marketing is the right word, but because of the public awareness of things like AEDs has been so emphasized in the past, you know, like five, 10 years, there are AEDs a lot of times around wherever sports are being played. Right. And so if somebody does go down, I mean, the most important thing is somebody needs to be calling 911. So, you know, put on your code hat, right? So you're going to run the code and you need to be the, telling people what to do and kind of like taking charge. When somebody takes charge and kind of acts like they know what they're doing, everybody else calms down. Yep. And so take charge, act like you know what you're doing because you do. Tell someone to call 911. You know, obviously, at that point, check if there's a pulse. But if, if at that point, I'm basically saying, like, does somebody know if there's an AED around? Like, mm -hmm. where's the AED and go get it and, and that sort of thing. And then maybe one of the other things I would say is it wouldn't be unreasonable to be when you get to games to think to yourself, is there an AED around? It may be a little bit paranoid sounding, right? Like every game I'm going to go to for my 12 year old, I'm going to be like, is there an AED around? But I don't know, like, don't switch off the medical brain completely. So like, it's not wrong to do that. Every time we show up to a game where I'm taking care of it, we ask, where's the AED? You know, how do we get a hold of like emergency medical? Do we have to call 911? Is there an ambulance nearby? Like as a parent, I don't think it's wrong to show up and say, you know, like, is there an AED nearby? Or like, what would I do in an emergency, especially if you're somebody who's listening and has training, right? You just said it, if you had training. So in order of things, 
I'm taking control. I'm telling people I know what I'm doing. I've been here before. Somebody call 911 and, and please can, uh, confirm with me once you've enacted EMS. I'm getting to the athlete. I'm taking a pulse, seeing if I need to do compressions right away or if this is something where like they have a pulse and we just need to maybe secure an airway and make sure everybody like is at C-spine or something where I just need to make sure that we're stabilizing. And then I'm saying, if somebody knows where the AD is, go grab that. And basically at that point, you've probably done the most of the work you need to do because you're either starting those compressions and doing CPR, which again, hands-only CPR has been shown to be very effective. And I think a lot of people are afraid of doing CPR because they want, don't want to have to do the breaths. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the American Heart Association was very smart by putting out that hands-only CPR information because the compressions are the most important. And are breaths important? Sure. It's great to oxygenate, but like the hands are so important. Yeah. I wanted to throw in there, there's an app called Pulse Point AED that actually has, it's almost like GPS, you type in your location or like ping your location, it'll tell you all the AEDs that are around you, like how far away they are from you. So if anyone wants to download that, it's free. Pulse Point AED. I have it on my phone just in case. <laughs> That's awesome. It's kind of like if you have to like find a gas station or like charge your car if you have an electric car or something. It's yeah, like <laughs> exactly. Just to save someone's life. So a little even more important. One thing that I like to stress whenever I'm training a new rapid response nurse is even if you're the best person at doing CPR, in an emergency, you might not be the person that should be doing CPR. A lot of people can do CPR. What a lot of people can't do is think about all the things that have to happen in an emergency. Like you said, who's calling them on one? Someone needs to be getting the AED. Someone needs to be getting a history from the family. Like lots of things have to happen at one time. And if I'm so zoned in to doing good quality CPR that I can't think of those other things, I'm actually doing the patient disservice. So as the medical person, Maybe you do have to do the CPR or at least initiate it, but you can pass that off to someone else and make sure everything else is being taken care of. So if I were to run out to the field, I would announce myself, I'm a rapid response nurse. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Just like you said, delegate. That is so, so important. If the person doing CPR is sucking, then sure, jump in. But if you're so winded doing compressions and you can't think to what else needs to happen, that's that's not what's best for the patient. I think that's yeah, such big, a good point, Sarah. A big takeaway to people who are potentially running to an emergency in the future outside of their comfort zone of the hospital with their team. Yeah. And you can teach CPR pretty quickly too, right? You can tell somebody like, you need to be pushing this hard. Okay. You need to be pushing harder. You, you need to be pushing faster. Think this song in your head, right? Staying alive or whatever. Yeah. And you can then, you can move on and do something else. But you know, those are such good points, Sarah. That's the thing that as physicians, we have to learn when we're doing codes, right? When we're showing up to rapid responses is that at some point, like we show up and we have to be the captains and we're not actually doing things with our hands, which sometimes feels weird. But at the end of the day, like if everybody's looking around, like who's in charge and what do we do next? It's chaos. And if somebody right. speaks up and says, this is what we're doing. I need you to do this and you need to do this. Everybody kind of like turns into this awesome team and it turns into this like in a weird way, almost like beautiful poetry of something that's happening, although obviously not in a perfect situation. Right. Well, to my listeners, I hope this is helpful to you. Just realizing that your skills are needed outside of the hospital. You know, this could happen to anybody, even healthy people, you know, hopefully not this happens to you, but what if it's one of your child's teammates or your child that you have to respond to? So being aware, where is the closest AED? What is my role going to be if something happens? Am I going to run out there and take charge? Am I going to step in line to do compressions? Like, what are you capable of and be prepared to do that? Because again, this could happen anywhere, anytime. So Dr. Allen, aside from being a sports medicine physician, you also have a podcast. Can you just quickly tell my listeners about that because they wanted to check it out? 
I do. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it up, Sarah. Yeah, that's how we, you and I connected, actually. So my podcast is called Your Doctor Friends, and it's me and my colleague, Dr. Julie Bruni. We're both physicians for, like, again, the Chicago Bulls, Chicago White Sox, and we do primary care sports medicine. And the goal of the podcast really is to answer all those questions you have for your doctor friends. Like, we get texts and phone calls all the time about, <laughs> you know, like, what do I do with this? Or, like, should I go see a doctor for that? Or, like, what's this weird thing on my left leg or whatever? And so we're really trying to, like, answer some of those, you know, common questions uh, uh, that people have. And so you can find us anywhere, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatnot. We have our website, yourdoctorfriendspodcast.com. Uh, Check us out. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you have that podcast because I sure get those texts all the time as a nurse. Sarah, can I send you a picture of my rash? I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, all you have to those questions. Yeah, <laughs> right. Now, not my expertise, but I'll do my best. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's been a very important discussion. I know it's going to be helpful to so many. Any closing thoughts before I let you go? No, no, I really enjoyed being here. Hopefully this this was helpful. Certainly people can reach out to us through our podcast or through this if there's more questions, but I was really happy to be here and talk about this with you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. Have a good rest of your night. All right, Sarah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email with questions or comments, and it would mean so much if you could take a moment to write a review on iTunes, as this helps more listeners find this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport, so trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. You've been listening to the Rapid Response RN podcast. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing, and your patient's care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponsernpodcast at gmail.com or on the Rapid Response RN Podcast Facebook page, as well as the podcast website, rapidresponsern.com.